0: Job chapter 7. Been several places this morning. Brother Glenn made the statement. I appreciate the Sunday school. I appreciate the honesty and the devotion, too. I've had to do the same thing. I've done the same thing with my children. And. Uh, It really kind of goes along with, in a part, with my message this morning and then Brother Glenn's lesson. Oh, by the way, I knew I was going to announce this, too. As I was praying this morning, because I was praying about the life of Christ, we're going into 1 John. And as I was in my prayer this morning at the house, God said 1 John, so we're going 1 John tonight. And uh, I think I know why. <laughs> and then when he said, I mean specifically, go to First John. And then Brother Glenn, you know, gets up in his second or third week in John. Not only the same writer, obviously, of those, but uh, just some things that I know where people are at, and uh, I can see where First John would be helpful to them. And so uh, I think maybe that's why. The Lord said to go ahead and do that, and so we'll pick up that other study when God directs us to do that. So we will be going straight into 1 John tonight in our Sunday night Bible study. Brother Glenn made the statement in Sunday school that he wasn't here to make us feel bad, or worthless, I think is what he said. I'm not here to make you feel worthless, but my morning's message is here to make us feel worthless. (laughs) I couldn't help but to think in light of last Sunday night's message and in light of a rehash of last Sunday night's message and my message on the radio yesterday and it's out there on Facebook on my Facebook as far as the video goes and it dealing with again where we were at in that spiritual journey and just you know what and like I think it really hit home more yesterday. Because I did belabor the, the thought with Cornelius, you know, that he was a devout man. He gave of his alms. He worked, I mean, he, you know, he was going through the religious motions, but he was a lost man. And uh, same with the Ethiopian eunuch. He worshipped, the Bible said. And... um but I couldn't help going, and I, I thought about this last Sunday. I I couldn't remember. I knew about where the scripture was, but it just wasn't coming to me last Sunday night. I looked it up this morning, and I was thinking about it yesterday. But though the the yeah, in Deuteronomy chapter seven, and he's talking to Israel, but. In light of Abraham and God going to Abraham and calling him out of Ur of the Chaldees and saying to Abraham, I am going to make of thee a great nation. Then Deuteronomy 7, verse number 6, For thou art, talking of Israel, for thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen, key word there, chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love upon you. This is the verse of Scripture that I was thinking about last Sunday night. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any uh, any people, for you were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, no other reason. And it can be applied to us. It, this, in context, was speaking to the children of Israel. they in the book of Deuteronomy. Speaking of Abraham being called and given the promise. So going back, if you wanted to just take this here and put it on Abraham in his call out of the earth of the Chaldees, why was Abraham called? Not because he was a great people. He was him and Sarai, Abram. Abram and Sarai, their names hadn't been chosen. It was just them two. And they were old. (laughs) He was 75 at the time. They went another 25 years before having kids. But it wasn't because they were a great people. It wasn't because of any merit that Abraham had done, any great works that Abraham had done, any great thing that Abraham was it was just because he loved him but because the Lord loved you and because ye would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers hath the Lord brought you out of the mighty out of a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of, the, of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know ye therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations and repayeth them that hate him to their face to destroy them. He will not be slack to him that hateth him. He will repay him to his face. Which really goes along with some of the thoughts we've heard already this morning as far as the recompense goes. But the focus here that I want to bring, uh, just that I thought about bringing out last Sunday night and then it was brought to my attention again yesterday thinking of Abraham, was he was nothing special. But God set his affection upon him. Speaking of nothing special, let's go to Job. (laughs) Job chapter 7. I heard this statement made in light of me thinking of Deuteronomy chapter 7. Somewhere along the way this week, I heard this on something. And was put, it was put in my heart to, to go this way this, this morning. I want to read the whole chapter. I know it's 21 verses, but Job is answering... In the book of Job, of course, Job is being tested. Job was a just and an upright man. And, and then, of course, the accuser, Satan, went to God and said, you know, uh, standing before God, and God said to Satan, say, have you considered my servant Job? <laughs> and Job said, I mean, sorry, and, Abraham, and, and Satan said, he's serving you because of all that you've given him all that you've blessed him with. And I'm paraphrasing here. If you'll let me touch him and take his stuff from him, I'll, he'll curse you to your face. And God said, okay, touch his stuff. I'm paraphrasing. You can read it for yourself. He said, I, he, goes, I'm, he goes, but you can't touch him. So he pulled the hedge that he had about Job into him, and Job lost all of his sustenance. All of his, all of his, uh, all of his wealth basically went out the door in a day, and his children. But Job, sinned not, he worshipped God. Then later on, the same type of exchange happened, and God said, "Okay, you can't have his soul. You can't have his." You can't kill him, but you can have his body. And he was covered with boils from his head to his feet. And he sat in ashes, and he scraped those boils with a potter's shell. So he was pretty miserable. He lost everything that he had. He lost all of his kids died. He had a wife that was in his ear saying he should just curse God and die. And he had boils from his head to his feet. And then along came three friends. <laughs> and they began, and of course, they sat there in silence around him in his misery for several days, and then they began to talk. And And if you read the book of Job which scholars feel that is the oldest recorded book that we find in our Bible. Our Bibles are not put together, our book, the books of the Bible are not put together chronologically, or Job would be been before Genesis. But it is felt that Job, and Job's account was happened before Moses wrote the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible. So there's a lot of contemplation that goes on in the book of Job between Job and his friends. They don't understand why a man of Job's wealth and a man of Job's prominence and a man of Job's everything about him all of a sudden in one day had it all wiped out, the friend says, surely you're a sinner. And... and (laughs) They didn't know what was going on. We read at the end of Job that the end of Job was better than his beginning. He got seven more kids and a whole bunch more of all of his sustenance because he stayed true through all that trial that was put upon him. And he had to get right with his friends, and he had some discourse with God himself in the book of Job, but there's a lot of questions that, about mankind. Again, if you put it in its chronological order, we hadn't heard, we hadn't read what Moses had written about us as mankind in Genesis. Yet. Yet. There was probably in society at that time a verbal understanding of where man had came from come from, and so on and so forth, because of the way that, um, you know, storytelling and, and his, history was passed back in the day, but there's still, when it comes to man and God, there was still a whole lot of questions, and we see one of those questions here in this, in this chapter, which one want to get to, but this is Job talking to his friend Eliphaz, continuing here, from the previous chapter. Is there not an appointed time to man upon earth which goes to what Brother Glenn pointed out? And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. He quoted that this morning. So this is a question that's been around a long, long, long time. Is there not an appointed time uh, uh, to man upon earth? Are not his days also like the days of an hireling? As a servant earnestly desireth the shadow, and as a hireling looketh for his reward of his work, so am I made to possess months of vanity, and wearisome nights are appointed unto me. So some of you have labored and worked in the hot sun, and you are ready for the shadows, for the sun to go down, because you know at the end of the day, you can go rest. At the end of the, at the, end of the work day, work week, you get paid. That's what he's talking about, the servant and the hireling. You finally get to lay down and rest, or you finally earn the wages of your labors. Verse number four, when I lie down, I say, When shall I arise and the night be gone? And I am full of tossings to and fro until the dawning of the day. My flesh is clothed with worms and clods of dust. My skin is broken and become loathsome. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and are spent without hope. Oh, remember that my life is wind... "'Mine eye shall no more see good. "'The eye of him that hath seen me shall be, "'or shall see me no more. "'Thine eyes are upon me, and I am not. "'As the cloud is consumed and vanishes away, "'so is he that goeth down to the grave "'shall come come up no more. "'He shall return no more to his house, "'neither shall his place know him any more.' Therefore, I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Am I a sea or a well that thou settest a watch over me? When I say my bed shall comfort me, my couch shall ease my complaint, then thou scarest me with dreams and terrifiest me with or through visions, so that my soul chooseth strangling and death rather than my life. I loathe it. I would not live always, let alone for my days are vanity. Here's where I wanted to get to. What is man that thou shouldest magnify him and that thou shouldest set thine heart upon him and that thou shouldest visit him every morning and try him every moment? How long would thou... Uh, not depart from me, nor let me alone till I swallow down my spittle. I have sinned, and what shall I do unto thee? O thou preserver of men, why hast thou set me as a mark against thee, so that I am a burden to myself? And why dost thou not pardon my transgression and take away mine iniquity? For, na- for now I shall sleep in the dust, and thou shalt seek me in the morning, but I shall not be." Now this, I mean, Job was pretty miserable, as you can tell in this discourse. He says, look, I'm, I, I, I wish I could just die. He was in that much pain and that much discomfort and that much distress and agony. He said, I'm, I am looking forward to death like a servant to the end of the day and like a hireling to the end of the work week. And then when I get to my bed, I don't find any comfort. (laughs) And that's the kind of state that he was in, and he's questioning God. Verse number 17, what is man that thou shouldest magnify him? And that thou shouldest set thine heart upon him, and that thou shouldest visit him every morning and try him every moment. How long without not part from me he's hoping that God would just depart from him, like basically in essence, like his wife and said, "Just curse God and die, but job was a man of integrity, the Bible says, Amen. but he was he he had his moments of misery as we read here in this in this chapter, he was really kind of saying, "God, why, how long and then you know, what is man that thou shouldst magnify him? Why even deal with man? And we're going to see in the scriptures that we're nothing. Amen. And in, in light, we, and it's interesting, in as we've gone through, well, and I think it was back in bibliology on Wednesday night, you know, that that when we looked at the word of God that man, <clears throat> if man was had written it without the uh, inspiration of the the Spirit of God, then we wouldn't have said the things that the Bible says about ourselves. (laughs) But God declares us as nothing, dust, worms. But yet the Lord deals with us. The Lord magnifies us. It has been said of man that we are the crown of his creation. So as we go back to Genesis, we go through the days of creation, six days of creation, and the seventh day God rested. And then as he created and all the things that we see here, and he gets bound to you know, the latter part of the creation and the creation week, he confers with himself and says, Let us make man in our image. And so we are formed and fashioned after the very image of God. So again, when we get into these contemplative moments like Job here, We could actually question, and I want us to question, what is man? We could just turn it and bring it singularly and say, who am I? Who am I? I mean, Abraham could have said, who am I, Lord? Like Deuteronomy said, you know, he's talking about the old nation, but it it began with Abram. God says thou art holy people because, you know, the Lord thy God has chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all the people. The Lord did not set his love upon you or choose you because thou were more in number than any people, for ye were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, and he goes on to say, because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers. Amen. He just made an oath. He loved Abraham and made an oath with him. And Abraham believed God, and was counted unto Him for righteousness. Last Sunday night's message, yesterday's message, It's faith. But still, yet when we when we stand, in fact, we're going to see basically the same phrase. What is man? In 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 the Psalms, and he uses that same. And apparently, I'm not. The, I, I, Guarantee I'm not the only one that has stood and wondered about the universe and see us as a a speck of sand on the earth. An atom in the vastness of the universe. But God set his affection upon man. Rewind. God set his affection upon you. (laughs) To send his only begotten son. Woo, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's, <laughs> I'm sorry. I got to get us miserable. I got to get us worm, you know, worm dirt. Worm dung. That's basically what man is in light of God's holiness. We're sinful creatures. Job 17. Uh, let me make sure I'm telling you right. Job 15, I'm sorry. Job 15. Now this is... Eliphaz, Job in Job 7 had just answered Eliphaz in whatever the previous question or whatever was. But Eliphaz is now talking in Job 15 and verse number 14. What is man that he should be clean? and he which is born of a woman, that he should be righteous? That's a good question. So Job is asking, what is man that the Lord, that God would magnify him? Why why even, you know, when you look at creation and we, we see ourselves as sinners, why would God have anything to do with us? Why didn't he just go, in Genesis chapter 6? Why didn't he just wipe mankind off and just be God? He could have done that. He's sovereign. He, he could have done that. We're get with some of these answers in here, but there's lots of questions. Looking at God in his holiness and man in our sinfulness, why would God magnify man? Why would God have any dealings with man after our sin? Why would God set his heart upon man? Good questions. Eliphaz saying, what is man that he should be clean? God could just leave us in our sin to face the judgment that was talked about in Sunday school. He didn't have to do anything about it. He could have just banished us off to hell like he did the angels, which cannot be redeemed. (laughs) I want to say right there But God who is rich in mercy <laughs> But why should What is man that he should be clean And he that is born of woman He should be righteous Again our righteousness As he brought out his Sunday school I love how God puts things together Are as filthy rags We, we should, our sin causes to be filthy and dirty, just filthy rags. And I've heard, I need to verify this, but I've just heard of a connotation of that filthiness. But we can go even to the rags of the leopard, which would, you know, which would, you know, um, be understandable. I was in housekeeping, a housekeeping supervisor in a nursing home. You know, and when you go to the hospital, sister, uh, Debbie can speak of this, and others that that's work in health care can speak of this. Look, when when she takes a bandage off of a of a resident that's putrefied, she has to protect herself with PPE so as not to get something from that blood or from that, that wound, and then that bandage goes into a special trash bag. It's red and it's marked biohazard. And then the housekeepers come along, my whole profession, as a supervisor, and we had to handle the biohazard a certain way because of the filthy rags, because of the disease that it causes. And that's the way we should see our sin. The disease of sin, our righteousness, the best we can do is as putrefying filthy rags. Bound, what did they do? Because we had to, I had the key. We had to take out the biohazard waste. That includes the... All the sharks, all the needles, anything that touched blood. We had a special bin, building for them out back. We had it it tied up in bags. We had it put in bins, specially marked biohazard waste. And then they would take it and they would do what with it? Incinerate it. What, What gets rid of the sin? The fire. The fire of God's judgment gets rid of our sin. Because that's where our righteousness is, is at. Filthy. So Eliphaz has some good questions. What is man that he should be clean? And he that was just born of a woman that he should be righteous. We're just dirty, rotten sinners. And another one of Joe's friends is I just seen this. Since I printed this out in Job, in Job 25, Bildad speaks in Job 25, then answered Bildad the Shuhite and said, Dominion and fear are with him. He maketh peace in his high places. Is there any number of his armies?" and upon whom doth doth not his light arise. How then can man be justified with God? That is a good question. Eliphaz said something about why should we be clean and why should we as mankind be righteous, and Eliphaz says... How, how can we be justified? And upon whom does... i oh, sorry. How then can man be justified with God? Or how can he be clean? There it is again. That is born of a woman. Behold, even to the moon, and it shineth not. Yea, the stars are not pure in his sight. How much less man that is a worm, and the Son of Man, which is a worm. That's who we are. And and I've, well, let's just go to the next one. Psalm chapter 8. Psalm 8, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth who has has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest be. uh, Let me read it again. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies that thou mightest steal the enemy and the avenger. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, thou hast crowned him with glory and honor, thou madest him to have dominion over the, over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth, passeth through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. God made us in his image. God made us a little lower than the angels. God has given us as mankind dominion over all the things of the earth. When I read that about the cattle, you know, I know that when I have been down around Brother Tim's cattle, he's like, you know, just keep your eye on them. They'll stomp you in the ground because they're, you know, 1,500 pounds and you're 200 whatever. Or Jesse, who was (laughs) nothing. (laughs) Nothing. But then at the same time, I see Tim go in amongst them and that great big bull of his, throwing those pellets and that feed out in them troughs and he'll scratch the big bull on his, on his muzzle there between his eyes. And again, the bull could have stomped Brother Tim in the ground. But when he you know raises his hands and, and these large beasts... From him, or he will call and they'll come to him. He's given us dominion, mankind dominion over the beasts, the fish, all these things. But then that goes back to what is man that thou shouldest magnify him? What is man? He says here in Psalm 9 that thou art mindful of him, and the Son of Man that thou visits him. Now I know in the New Testament scriptures. Jesus Christ, and this is, I never found this in any of the, but it hit me this morning, why did he use the Son of Man here and then another place? He uses the words the man and the Son of Man. And, he, and of course, he speaks that Jesus Christ is the Son of Man here in the New Testament, but I think in this context, in, in a sense, it speaks to generations, you know, it's it. You know, maybe there was a man that was more righteous than me, but he's not. Mankind in our flesh are just rotten, and so it, that's a, a something that passes through the generations: the man and the son of man. Adam sinned, and because of Adam's sin, the son of man all the way through. We're rotten. We're worms. We're nothing. We're dirt. We're dust. We are undeserving of anything that God could give us except judgment. Amen. Our righteousness are as filthy rags, bound for the fire. The fire purifies, and the fire burns it all up, the f- the fire takes care of all the disease that's in those rags. It incinerates it and burns it up. But when it comes to mankind, we're not just going to be like some of these folks that has their their uh, their thoughts of hell. Some people don't believe in a literal fire in the hell. And then some people say, well... I'll just go, God will judge me, I'll burn up, and then I won't be. No, it's not that way. Because hell is going to be delivered up, and death and hell and those not found in the Lamb's Book of Life are going to be cast into the lake of fire, and their torments will come up before God forever and ever. They'll be tormented in the flame forever and and ever, It's an everlasting torment. Why would it be an everlasting torment? Because the sinfulness of man compared to the holiness of God who is everlasting needs to be tormented as long as God lives in righteous judgment. I don't understand that, but that's the way it's going to have to be. But somehow, some way, going back to the original scripture, what is man that he should magnify? Him? What is man that he should be clean? What is man that he should be made righteous? We're nothing. And then, of course, Hebrews 2.6 refers back to Psalm 8.4, which we just read. And then Psalm 144.3 says, Lord, what is man that thou takest knowledge of him. He thinks about us. He knows us. Or the son of man, that thou makest account of him. He keeps account. He knows us. He knows us as mankind, but he knows us as individuals. I... I have, I just found a knife. My brother was up. We do a like lot, brothers do, go through the memories. It's so funny. We can be away from each other for years, get together, and do something, and we know how each other works. <laughs> and then I found out something yesterday. Uh, so. My dad was with me and when I'd take him places. You know, I was the caregiver and I'd take him places and he would get to talking about his children as if I wasn't standing there. So he would magnify my brother because of my brother's education and good job and the money he was making. He'd magnify my sister for the same thing, but I wasn't there. He'd talk about his children like I was not standing there, but I'm the one taking care of him. But then I didn't know this until yesterday that whenever I'm not around, he's doing the same thing to my brother in the fact that, you know, well, Doug's the oldest, so he's going to get this, and Doug's the oldest. He's, and so, so, in, so in his ears from my father, it's Doug's the oldest. And in, in my ears from my father, it's, well, Shannon's the most educated and, and makes the most money. So, and I don't know what, what's being said in my sister's ears, but anyway, <laughs> it's kind of interesting. But, you know, who, who are we? Uh, oh, yeah, I found a knife because my dad had a box of knives. Used to be in a, a hard uh, makeup or, of luggage, the old hard luggage, but the little overnight deal. He used to have all of his knives and straight razors and stuff like that in it. We've transferred it because it fell apart. Transferred it into a box, and we were talking about from time to time, we just get in, Dad, can we look at your knives? Yeah, don't put your fingers on the blade. You know, one of those deals, because there's some stories behind that too. But anyway, we open up the box, and we're pulling out all these old knives that Dad's got. Remember this one? That kind of thing. So I seen this little case, pocket knife, and threw it in my pocket, so I'm, I'm carry that one. But then this morning, when I pulled it out of my pocket to transfer my stuff, I realized it had a number on it. I said a number, so I opened the blade, and it was a commemorative case pocket knife for the 1982 World's Fair. I said all that, say this. There's been events in my life. I was in the opening parade as a Boy Scout in the 1982 World's Fair. I was one of 50 Boy Scouts on the July 4th celebration at the 1982 World's Fair that stood in a circle in the middle of Neyland Stadium around Johnny Cash, June Carter Cash, and their boy Jimmy, while they lip synced the national anthem, I was one of fifty. My brother was two of fifty, <laughs> holding an American flag in a circle, as they sang the national anthem. And the and then at the end of the national anthem, the fireworks went off over the stadium. I've I've had the privilege to be in the west it was a visit to visit the West Wing in the White House. I got a privilege to be in the. Uh, the um, the Senate chaplain's office, which is not part of the normal tour, with my whole family, I've been able, again, to be in places in my life when looking back upon my life, I'm like, who am I? The son of Charles Bell and Margaret Wilburn Raised in Five Point, Tennessee, Maryville, Tennessee, in the Five Point community, which is on the lower middle class, just a head of a boy from a, a split home. Yeah. Offered drugs, you know, in my neighborhood. In the in as time went on, they were in, they were around but I've been places I've I've been parts of events I have done things that a lot of people don't get to do or, or get to go and I oftentimes going how how did that happen why did that happen to me because looking back at my life I should be a statistic <laughs> you know that divorce home and you know and and alcoholic stepfathers, drunken stepfathers, let's put it that way. It's just bring, I will not the alcoholic on there. Just call them a drunk. That's what they are. Drunken stepfathers that beat my mom. Those type of situations in my home, and I'm going, why me? How did I get promoted in life? Not that I'm some great king, not that I'm some great leader, not that I'm anything. But I look back at my life and I'm going, I should be probably in jail or in hell a long time ago. But it's just the grace and mercy of God. And that's where I want to get to is because throughout the scripture and the question of what is man and then everything that followed that question, Isaiah chapter 1, speaking of Israel, kind of really sums up where we really are. I have verse 4 printed out, but I know that we'll just start at the beginning. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Am- Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. For the Lord has spoken, I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. Creation did that. Mankind as a whole did that. He's talking to Israel here, but when Adam sinned in the garden, that's exactly what happened. Adam, you can have dominion over all these animals. You're going to dress this garden. You can eat every fruit in the garden, but that one tree, don't eat it. Don't eat of the fruit of it. One commandment. And of course, Eve was beguiled. But then when Eve took of the fruit, she had already partaken of it. But she took of the fruit and she gave it to Adam. Adam wasn't beguiled. Adam simply went against God's commandment, which is rebellion. And he took the fruit and he ate of it, plunging mankind into (laughs) sin. But he's bringing it down to a, 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 a nation here. They rebelled against me. The ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib. But Israel doth not con- know, my people doth not consider, ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel into anger. anger. They are gone away backward. That's man. That's you. (laughs) That's me. So we can speak in general terms of mankind. We can speak in general terms of the nation of Israel. We could even take that and put it on United States of America. Let's bring it down to you as an individual. Can you say to yourself that you are sinful, that you're laden with iniquity, that you, uh, you are a seed of evildoers, children that are corrupt, You're corrupt. You're an evildoer, corrupter. You've forsaken the Lord. You've provoked the Holy One, God of anger, or of Israel unto anger. You are gone away backwards. That's just a picture of who you, as an individual, are who I am an individual, are in our natural state. Luke chapter 1. And I believe, you know, this is when Peter was called, but he's seen himself a sinner. I'm sorry, Luke chapter 5. He said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering and said unto him, Master, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word I will let down the net. And when they had done this, or when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net brake. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, and they, uh, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both ships so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Amen. And then he goes on if you'll, in, in that, that he was going to make Peter a fisherman of men. Simon, who became Peter, Simon Peter. But but as a that's where we all have to get. We all have to see us as in Isaiah chapter one ourselves, individuals. Yeah. It's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in need of prayer. And he goes on to say, it's not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, oh Lord. It's not my mama, mom and my daddy, and we so many times. When the preacher gets up and preaches, and 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 points out sin, or points out the fact that we're sinners somehow, some way, because we're wicked (laughs) within ourselves, we want to search ourselves. Not, we want to search ourselves for some little spark of divinity or righteousness. But I just said what our righteousness was. You know, like he says, I gave $50 to the Red Cross, I helped my neighbor, I did this, I did that, I've always been good, I've paid my bills, i have not in jail, and we can come up with so many excuses as to why we should be accounted under righteousness. But it's no good. Peter, right here, disobeyed. The Lord Jesus Christ said, let down your plural nets. But Peter didn't fully obey. He threw out one net, singular. And in doing so, realized and confessed before Jesus Christ, I am a sinful man. And you're not going to get anywhere with God until you get there with yourself. Amen. You're not. And there's where the a lot of people's problems are. Some because we are the creatures that we are, we somehow some way want to just justify ourselves somehow even though We've got a rap sheet <laughs> this long. Yeah. We've got a record this long <laughs> They go They go and get our file. <laughs> and it's this thick. Yeah. Oh, yeah, this is what Mr. Bell did. Yeah, he done that. Oh, yeah, he done that early on. Disobeyed his mama. He knew better there. Disobeyed his daddy there. He lied. He took that bubble gum. He stole that paper clip from work. He was told not to use their copier for personal business. Is your record that thick or thicker? (laughs) Oh, Doug Bell's record is a multi-volume set. (laughs) But the problem is we don't, we have an excuse for every one of our sins. But it's no good in God's eyes. That's not going to satisfy God. We have got to see ourselves like Peter did, right? Simon did right here, a, a sinful man. When you get to that part, you are getting close. <laughs> You've got to see yourselves as guilty. We sing it in the choir when we sing the choir. I'm glad I got lost so I could be found. Peter seen himself as a sinful man so that something could be done about it. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. He asked himself. He asked Peter, of all people, in Matthew, who do you say that I am? <laughs> and Peter had the right answer. Where is that at? 17? 16. I knew it's right around here somewhere. Ah, there it is. So in Luke 1, 5, and Luke 5, Peter says, I am a sinful man. And then when questioned in Mark and Matthew chapter 16, he asked all of his disciples. Verse number 13, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the son of man, am? There's the capital son of man. and Oh, reason, reason I think that he, he did this. Well, I'll, I'll say that in a minute. Whom, <laughs> whom do men say that I, the son of man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven, and I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He had the right answer. He says, believe me for my work's sake. He told that to uh, uh, Philip in, in John chapter 14. And Peter, seeing the works, I cast one net and... The ships were about to sink because of all these fish. Yeah. Peter said, and, and, and Peter's mother in law was raised up from her illness. In another passage of Scripture, Peter walked on the water. Yeah. If it's you, Lord, bid me come. Come on. And he walked on the water. And he walked back to the ship after he sank. He's seen some works. And when questioned, who do you say that I am? It was revealed by the Father who Jesus was. That's another thing. One, we got to see ourselves like Peter, a sinful man. Two, we have to have the Holy Spirit which will point us to Jesus, tell us, and reveal unto us and give us the understanding that when the preacher gets up here and preaches that Jesus Christ is God, He's Emmanuel, God with us, He died on the cross according, uh, for our sins according to the Scriptures, He was buried and raised again the third day according to our Scriptures, that that is in fact true. And the Father in Heaven through the Spirit of God is going to show you that in your heart and then you can be saved. Here, again, s- sinful man. Psalm 53:1. 1. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Corrupt are they, and they have done abominable iniquity. There is none that doeth good. God looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if they... If there were any that did understand it did seek God, every one of them is gone back, they are altogether filthy. They, there is none that doeth good, no not one. Yes. Romans, we just got out of it, chapter three. As it is written, "There is none righteous, no not one, there is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way, they are, all toge- they are together. they are together, become unprofitable. there is none that doeth good, no not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher, sepulcher, and with their tongues they use deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's you. And that's me as a sinner. That's where we were. Where some of you are. I still am. Except I'm born again. <laughs> I've had the blood applied. But that that's who I am underneath. Actually, it's not because of such were some of you. I've been washed. I used to be there. But now I'm a new creature in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. But that's where I was. Again, I could have been, should have been, if I'd have followed the paths of certain people in my life, I would have been a drunk today. If I'd have followed the flesh, a drunken whoremonger, let's just add to that today. A fornicator. And the Bible gives the list, and none of them people's going to heaven. And he gives another list, you know, list, I mean, effeminate, fornicator, adulterer, I mean, the whole nine yards is in there. And they're not going to heaven, but those that are justified by faith in Jesus Christ are, because we are new creatures in Christ. Old things are passed away, behold, all things have become new. Such were some of you, but now you're washed, justified. So all those questions in the Old Testament, you have to get to the place where it said, you are right, I am nothing, I'm dirt, I'm a worm, I'm a sinner, I'm a, the whole list there we just read there. I'm full of cursing and bitterness. I'm full of destruction and misery. My ways are destruction and misery. I don't fear God. All that stuff. Get to the point where you say, Guilty. We do the crime. We get caught. We go down to the jailhouse, get thrown up into the into the cell, and off walks the police officer, the corrections officer, and we're sitting there We know what we had just done. We know we're guilty. We know it was against the law, and we got caught. Come here, Brother Chris. Please. He got caught, too. Get in the cell with me. My cell buddy. So he gets thrown in here, and I look over at him going, and finally, because of boredom, we get to talk on each other. And he asked me, What are you in here for? They asked me, What are you in here for? Well, they said that I did this, but I didn't do it. You did it. See how that works? I'm as guilty as a hound dog, but something in me says, "Oh, I didn't do it. They ain't got. They can't pin this on me." And then, now you're my lawyer. So you come in as my lawyer, and you're my defense lawyer. How are you going to plead? Not guilty. (laughs) Wait a minute. I'm as guilty as a hound dog. We just need to own up to our sin. And say, I am guilty. Because that's exactly our advocate comes in, Jesus Christ. And as long as we are in denial, we're not going to get far. But when we own up to our advocate, I am guilty. And in our advocate, Jesus Christ says, I can take care of it for you. And you say, how's that? Just let, me plead my, just let me apply my blood to your sin, and it'll be taken care of. It'll be, it'll be washed away out of you. You have a clean slate. What? Yep. Just believe that I died for your sins, according to the Scripture. I was buried and raised again for the third day, according to the Scripture. And that in believing, you can be justified. You can be made righteous, and your sins will be washed away. But you're not going to get there until you say, I am guilty. I am a sinner, O Lord. How how much plainer can you get? Thank you. But there's something within man that says, I didn't do it. They can't make that stick. I'm going to plead. There's not guilty, and then there is the other one. No contest. contest. There is uh, innocent. Now, (laughs) I'm going to plead not guilty, but you can plead not guilty and be not innocent because none of us are innocent. We're all guilty. Every single one of us in our sin as a man. If you would go into the court and say, Judge, I know that I'm a sinner. And I'm falling upon the mercy of the court. (laughs) That you'll be lenient to me by pleading guilty. And sometimes that does give you a, because they don't have to go through the whole rigmarole and you just own up to it and, There was a man that stood guilty and it's on the books in Georgia. He did the crime. He was guilty. Between somewhere along the way he got saved. But he still was facing a sentence. But he got saved and there was a a miraculous change in him in salvation. Again, Old things were passed away. Behold, all things were become new. And there was such a change in him that on the books in Georgia, the law books, and it uses the term men that had a Damascus Road experience. So when he went to court, he had people to testify of his Damascus Road experience. And he got... A lower sentence because of that. I'm not saying come through the motions. I'm saying you are guilty. And you need to say, I am guilty. And I know that you paid for my sins, and I freely accept you as my Savior. I want you to wash my sins away. I want you to make my record disappear. (laughs) Where's your sins? It's behind my back. I can't see them no more. Because they're always behind my back. I'm not going to look at your sin no more. Or when I see your sin, like the illustration I've used here before and used yesterday, your sins are scarlet, they're crimson, and I'm looking at your sin through the blood of Jesus Christ. So I see a white sheet of paper. Because I look in that red through red, you don't see red. Just like think of the little glasses and the little red lines on those pages. When you put those glasses on, the red line disappears. And that's how God sees our sin when the blood's been applied. We're wiped we're clean. We still are sinners, but we are under the blood. And His blood takes away this, our sins. Our, our sins... Without the blood, there is no remission of sin. So our sins are remissed. There we go. That's what I'm Under the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's get here real quick. <laughs> Let this mind be in you. Let's see here. Right back up. For what the law could not do, Romans 8, 3, for what the law could not do and week through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh... There's that son of man. There's where we are And that's why I said I think it's generational in the Old Testament because it uses a small s. Jesus Christ, God himself, the promise to Abram that we said last Sunday night, Abram seen the promise that the Messiah was going to come through him and his seed to the Gentile nations. The son of man. God identified himself with man. We see that here. That's why he says, I'm the son of man. So let's see here. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemns sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, let this mind be in you which is also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God thought not it not Robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men, son of man, and being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Cross. Wherefore, because he did all that, <coughs> because he was obedient to the death of the cross, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him the name, which is above every name that at the name of Jesus, just like Peter did in Luke 5 <laughs> that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue uh, should bow of the things in heaven and the things in the earth and the things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Second Thessalonians 2, but we are bound to give thanks. All the way to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Spirit, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation. Just like Deuteronomy chapter 7, he chose Abram to make of him a great nation that his seed, the Son of Man, would come through. Just because he loved Abram, No other reason, no merit of Abraham. He loved him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Right here. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to... Salvation Amen. through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's <laughs> He chose you way, 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 way back. It says before the foundation or from the beginning. He chose you to salvation from the beginning. He already had a plan. He knew Adam was going to sin and he knew what he was going to do about it. But so it's he chose he chooses you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit. That's a cleaning up of the spirit and that new birth that happens that he's going to get to in John chapter 3. And belief of the truth. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten God and Son that whosoever believeth. Amen. Whereunto you are called by our gospel. There's got to be a preacher. How can I believe except I hear? How can I hear except there's somebody come and preach to you the gospel. And the Holy Spirit is saying he's right, he's right, he's right. You're guilty. Amen. And Jesus Christ is the Savior. And you've got to put your faith in him or you're going to die and go to hell. 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should uh, show forth the praises of him uh, who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous life. He chooses you. He calls you. He saves you. He transforms you. In 1 Peter 2.10, which in time past were not a people, this is talking about the church, but are now the people of God, which, hath not or, uh, which had, had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Look, it's a merciful act of God that you are here today hearing the gospel of God. One more time. Another opportunity is coming your way that you hear the gospel and, and the Spirit of God working in your heart that says, you're guilty. You just have to say, yes, I am guilty. You have to say like Peter, Lord, I am a sinful man. And believe in what he has done for you to be born again, to be made a new creature in Christ. And that's the message today. Have a song of invitation. If the Lord's speaking to your heart, please come. Please plead guilty. Not innocent and not not guilty, but guilty. Own up to your sin as a man, as a human being, not as what you've done in life. But just the fact that your humanity makes you a sinful creature. Through Adam and in Adam. Look, if you never done anything wrong, you're still sinful. And you've got to say, I'm guilty of that. And accept Jesus Christ as your Savior.